You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. This is your KVMR Evening News for Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. What I know deep in every fiber of my being, that when transgender women of color can live authentically, safely in our societies, we will have safe societies for everybody. That's Reverend Ellis, Senior Minister at Sierra Center for Spiritual Living in Grass Valley. We'll also hear from Callum Hancock, Prevention Coordinator at Community Beyond Violence. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Bakersfield Congressman Kevin McCarthy won a preliminary nomination from the Republican caucus in his bid to become the next House Speaker. But as KQED Politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, the road ahead looks bumpy. By a vote of 188 to 31, McCarthy's GOP colleagues Tuesday voted by secret ballot to support him as Speaker, even before Republicans officially secured enough votes to control the House. McCarthy easily defeated an Arizona Republican who was former chair of the right-wing Freedom Caucus, but more than two dozen Republicans voted against him. Afterward, he acknowledged the tiny margin his party will have makes being leader precarious. Nobody's going to have more power than anybody else. Uh, A majority like this, four people could decide the future whenever it goes. So either we're going to lead as a team or we're going to lose as individuals. And I think at the end of the day, we will lead as a team. McCarthy will need 218 votes to officially become Speaker in January. And GOP consultant Mike Madrid thinks whoever the next leader is will have a very hard time keeping the party together. Trying to lead an unwieldy coalition like this, to me anyway, would would seem more like a nightmare than anything that you would really want to have. Madrid said getting the votes to be speaker will require McCarthy to endorse Donald Trump for president in 2024 to satisfy the party's most conservative members and could lead to impeachment votes for Attorney General Merrick Garland and President Joe Biden. The razor-thin majority signals instability for House Republicans, and Madrid thinks there could be three or four different speakers before the next election. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. So maybe you've seen the protests that erupt sometimes outside a new coffee shop or upscale restaurant in a transitional neighborhood. Well, activists in Los Angeles say they've noticed a pattern. When a restaurant offering, say, $30 entrees opens in a working-class neighborhood, rents start to rise faster, there are more evictions, and longtime locals are forced to leave. Some restaurants are now trying hard to limit their impact on gentrification. But is it enough? Or will their presence always be problematic? KCRW's Megan Jamerson takes the story from here. John Arquiza was one of around two dozen protesters who showed up in June when a restaurant called Dunsmore opened up. He says a restaurant with $40 entrees isn't culturally relevant to Glassell Park's residents. You're talking about a class of people who have way more income, way more assets, and way more resources uh, into a neighborhood that to them is an opportunity. It's a value for them. Urquiza says real estate that's a value for outsiders is just one or two rent hikes away from eviction for locals. He's a photojournalist, and he experienced this firsthand when he lost his photography studio in Highland Park because of rising rents. In Glassell Park, the restaurant Dunsmore offered their employees a living wage, and after the protests, they hosted a community dinner. Urquiza is very 
skeptical that these gestures of goodwill make a difference. How do you balance the displacement you create versus the uh, exploitation you're having on the community or the exploitation you're doing on the community? The building where the restaurant is located is quickly filling up with new tenants. One of those businesses is a bustling breakfast and sandwich spot modeled after an old school diner. It's called Bub and Grandma's, and the owner is Andy Caden. I don't want to take advantage of anyone in order for this business to be successful. One of the first decisions his team made was to keep the menu affordable. He says sandwiches are around $12 because that's what people were already paying in the neighborhood. Also, locals get a 5% discount when they show the cashier a blue metal keychain that has the words Bub's Local etched into it. He's given out 500 so far. It wasn't like we weren't going to engage with them anyway, but now it's like all the more imperative that everyone who lives here already knows that we're thinking of them. These questions are things that every entrepreneur should be asking themselves before they open, says Chef Jenny Dorsey. She coaches hospitality businesses in New York City and Los Angeles to take active steps to use their business as a force for community building and fighting displacement. As a result of perhaps not intentionally thinking about community investment, it becomes a complicit vehicle for gentrification. But there are limits to good intentions. You can even be from the community and you still have to be pretty careful about not causing displacement. Barney Santos is acutely aware of this. It's tough. It's really tough. Santos and his wife started a consulting business to bring economic development to Montebello. His wife grew up in this historically working-class Latino city. Together, they bought some property in Montebello. They decided to start with community input before coming up with a plan for what to do with it. The biggest takeaway was that millennials like him wanted a community gathering place centered around food. A lot of people my age and younger were getting degrees at high, at high rates. We're becoming upperly mobile. So they created Boulevard Market. It's a food hall and business incubator space. Santos says he's been approached by some new homeowners in the area who say they moved here because of the market. At the back of my mind, I can't help but think like, what did we do? Did we open the gates also? As intentional and as responsible as we are, are we also contributing? Restaurants can stand fully with the community, but it will take more than that to stop gentrification, says Jenny Dorsey. Hospitality business owners are not going to fix gentrification. Like It would be great if they could, you know, but that's just not how it works. Instead, she says restaurant owners could do a lot to create systemic change. If they hire locally, one place to start is working with the local tenants union. There, business owners can help keep the workers they employ in the neighborhood. That was KCRW's Megan Jamerson. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. It looks like the Sacramento Kings may be turning around their season. The Kings defeated the Brooklyn Nets last night 153-121, to making it their highest scoring game since 1993. 
It's also their fourth straight win as they recently defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers and California's very own LA Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, November 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening. Taking a look now at today's local news. According to the Nevada County Elections Office, as of 3 p.m. this afternoon, an additional 9,233 ballots have been counted. This brings the total number of counted ballots in Nevada County to just over 38,000. According to Ubinet.com, Measure V, the measure that would raise Nevada County's sales tax by a half percent, is still too close to call. As of this afternoon, the no votes are narrowly ahead by less than 1%. And a quick note for motorists. Highway 174 between Ofer Street near Long's Bottle Shop and Hanson Way near downtown Grass Valley is temporarily closed through Thursday, November 17th due to road construction. Turning our attention to the forecast from the National Weather Service, cold overnight temperatures continue as northeast winds return late this week. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 37. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 57. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 16 degrees. On Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 47. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 38. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 62. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The first transgender day of remembrance occurred over two decades ago on the other side of our country. Since then, the event has been formally recognized by two presidents and made its way to Nevada County. Now, Grass Valley's set to host its own transgender day of remembrance. KVMR's Kelly Reese has the story. Sunday, November 20th is Transgender Day of Remembrance. Although first held in Massachusetts... Transgender Day of Remembrance, or TDOR, is now an international event. Closer to home, a TDOR event will take place this Sunday, November 20th, from 3 to 5 p.m. at Unity in the Gold Spiritual Center in Grass Valley. I spoke with two Nevada County residents and members of the local trans community about Grass Valley's own upcoming Transgender Day of Remembrance. Callum Hancock is an adult prevention coordinator at Community Beyond Violence. I'm originally from uh, the Midwest, Missouri. I've been in California about seven years now. I love advocating for those who feel unseen, unheard. And how'd you end up in Nevada City? (laughs) So I used to, during the whole COVID lockdown, I was going stir crazy in my townhouse I was living in. I just got in the car and I drove around and I ended up down here and I was like, this is what was in the Christmas card. (laughs) And it reminded me of the little town that I grew up in. And I was like, I could live here. I seriously could live here. Reverend Rafe Ellis, senior minister at Sierra Center for Spiritual Living in Grass Valley, also joined us. My calling on life is ministry with, you know, spiritually motivated social justice. 
I love what Horatio Willis Dresser said in the history of New Thought back in 1901, that we now see that all true justice must be social and that our healing is going to come through understanding that we have to relate to one another at an equal playing field, um, respectfully and equally. And that's what I'm dedicating my life to. Can you talk about the history behind Transgender Day of Remembrance? It actually started in 1999, and there was a young lady. Her name was Gwendolyn. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on her last name. But she lost a transgender woman who was a really good friend of hers by the name of Rita Hester. And Rita was killed that year before. So Gwendolyn decided to start doing a remembrance service. And that was the beginning of TDOR. It's heartbreaking because right now we're at 362. And that's not counting the ones that we don't know about, you know, or the ones that the police don't list as a hate crime or the ones that you maybe family members don't want you to know about just because we don't conform into somebody else's belief that this amount of violence and racism. Because when you look at TDOR, so many of them are people of color. We've got to learn to step outside our box. You don't have to like it. You know, you don't even have to completely wrap your head around it, but at least try to understand it. And historically, part of what drove Transgender Day of Remembrance was really a movement to hold law enforcement accountable to fully investigate the deaths of transgender people that were really a lot of cold cases that no one was giving any attention to to investigate. It was also born out of a movement to hold the media accountable to stop misrepresenting transgender people by using their what what is called in the community as their dead name and misgendering them in all the reporting and so all of the outreach didn't seem to make a dent and so it was like okay we'll take it upon ourselves to create this visibility is so important in changing social structures. You, you cannot change anything from invisibility. And the transgender community, especially the female to male side of the transgender community, lends itself to abject invisibility. No one will look at me and know that I am a transgender man. Nobody. So, you know, we create avenues to create visibility, to create viability, to create change. What does Transgender Day of Remembrance mean to you? Well, I want to remember everyone that we lost, but I also want to celebrate their lives. Let's talk about what the journey is for somebody that's transitioning. I started mine the end of 2019, and then 2020 happened. And for anyone taking that journey, that was a lonely time and a very difficult time. So, you know, it's, it's bringing that awareness of it's not an easy journey. It's hard and it can be extremely lonely. And this is why you have a lot of suicides. So you're hoping in this service that not only can we celebrate and honor many of them who were so active in their, their communities and they were, they were bringing that awareness and that education and fighting for transgender rights. But also these are the same people who are struggling financially because they can't find a place of employment. They might have a hard time finding a place to live. 
you know, so you want to bring this education and awareness to the service, but most of all, you want to celebrate the life that they, they lived. And the program involves different speakers, involves musicians, it involves some spoken word um, readings. And for me, as a transgender man and as one of the speakers, my hope is that in celebrating the courage to live mm. authentically, is that we can begin to draw some parallels to how many of us that will be sitting in that room have yet to dare to step into our true authenticity because of everything we're afraid of that pales in comparison to being hunted down and murdered for being your authentic self. And to understand that the cost is way different for most of us, and yet we shy away from living our authenticity. So can we imagine the courage and the depth of character that it took for each of these people, knowing full well what the potential cost was yes. of their life? That's what this day is about for me. What's it like being trans and living in Nevada County? You know, it's been a mixed bag because Nevada County is a pretty representative microcosm of the macrocosm of U.S. society right now. It's very, my experience, it's very polarized, very polarized. And I am committed to being radically inclusive. My life is about inclusion, which means... I'm going to include both ends of the spectrum and everybody in between. That doesn't mean they want to be included by me. <laughs> and I recognize that. And because of the way I look, I actually get to have lots of interesting conversations. Because when you look at me, you're going to see a 62-year-old white guy with a beard, with a southern accent. And most people are going to think I think like they do in the conservative realm. And so oftentimes, I just give them space to share. And if nothing else, at the very end of it, I get to leave them with just so... You have a different awareness. A transgender man married to a black woman just gave you an hour of his time lovingly listening to you. Because at least I'm planting the seed. They can't unhear that. Can you let us know a bit about what to expect at the Grass Valley Transgender Day of Remembrance? It's November 20th, 3 p.m. at Unity in Gold Country Spiritual Center. Pastor Jerry is an amazing, and he has this Irish accent that is really awesome. Um, he's just a, an amazing person. And when Rick Partridge, who is the head of the board of for the Nevada County Pride, reached out to Pastor Jerry and asked would he like to do it, he was like, it was just instant, yes. And it's a beautiful church, beautiful church. And come in with an open heart and it, take in that awareness and education and let's celebrate these lives that we've lost to violence and, and hatred and honor everything that they were doing in their community, everything. All that negative energy, just leave it home and come with a grace and some understanding and willingness to learn. Just bring your heart. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll put a trash can outside the door with a sign that says, please deposit all negativity here. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can pick it up on the way out if you want it back. Because <laughs> you can you can come in and learn, but I think the thing is, is when you take that information, just take some deep breaths and try to process what you've just experienced, and allow your your heart and your spirit to just embrace and go with that. And you might walk out with something that is a seed and is, has time to grow. And we have a fabulous keynote speaker that Reverend Rafe knows, Ebony Ava Harper. The stuff that I've seen her do, I'm just in awe. And and that's the teaser to get you to come experience her. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that I would say whether you come to the Transgender Day of Remembrance or not, if you're listening, to look around, to look at nature, to look at other people, and to just begin to at least consider opening to the possibility that you really are at some level, even if it's just the level of quantum physics, that we really are just one thing happening here, individualized. That's how deeply we're connected to one another. When you live in a box and you have your way of thinking, your belief system, and you expect things to reflect you, it leaves no room for everything outside that box that you're missing. And I would think that's heartbreaking because you miss out on what makes this our community and this world so beautiful. How boring would it be? If we all reflected <laughs> what is in that box, I mean, there's no room for growth. And what do you learn? I really appreciate both of your time. Thank you for coming. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having us. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. That's our newscast for this November 16th, 2022. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR Community Radio gets support from generous listeners just like you and from Best Friends Animal Clinic on Highway 174 in Grass Valley, where doctors Tom Strolley, Melanie Curtis, Susan Klopfer, and staff provide comprehensive veterinary care for family dogs and cats. Information at bestfriendsanimalclinic.com. And Ubidocs Urgent Care, since 2000, providing walk-in medical and urgent care, accepting most insurance. Open 8 to 6, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 on Saturdays and holidays. Located in the Fowler Center, Grass Valley. Ubidox.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a great evening and join us on Thursday at 6 p.m. for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.